Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with around 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey local provider and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. And we are excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can uh, go to our website, stream us off the website, moneymd.net, as well as uh, download our podcast there. You can link to us. And, Seems uh, like that's a pretty popular way. A lot of people are listening to the podcast um, yes, you know, in their own time. So Getting great. a lot of activity there. Like, or on yeah. I- iTunes yep. as well. I've got you can find that us on iTunes. Downloaded. So. We're all over the place. Just you know, reach out to us there. And, and also email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or again, link to us on our website, moneymd.net. Well, guys, we have an interesting show today. Um, good stuff. We're going to start off here with money and marriage. Sounds like a game show, John. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, you know, like oil and water, right? Yeah. In a lot of cases, unfortunately. It can be. We, can um, be. we see that a lot of times. I, you know, we sit down with, with families and couples and so forth, and um, you know, I can tell, I don't know about you guys, I can tell when there's a little bit of stress in the relationship by some of the mannerisms and uh, the tone and the conversation. So it's always a good uh, idea to sit down and talk about it, whether it's with your advisor, lawyer, um, or just with your spouse. So we're going to kind of dive into that topic and give you some thoughts associated with that. Yeah, that's a great topic. And we're also going to talk about investing, <clears throat> dare to be different, because d- the question is, do you really want to follow the crowd when it comes to investing? Short answer is no, no. <laughs> but uh, we're going to tell you why here. Yep. I mean, this is a very important topic because, you know, the crowd is always doing some knee-jerk thing. And right now, you know, it feels kind of like maybe you want to pull out of internationals, be in U.S. and, you know, be in U.S. large. I mean, there's lots of things the crowd is doing. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be successful, well, we're going we're gonna to tell you <laughs> what, what, what to do and what not to do. So. And would you believe there are already some skirmishes up in Washington in Congress? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I Surprising. Mean, yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Long, but, did it? Uh, and guess what one of the subjects might be over? Uh, uh, Social Security? Yes. Uh, Social Security. Ticking time bomb. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> and it may affect us a lot sooner than some people think, especially in certain areas of Social Security. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, we'll be talking about that toward the end of the show here. Well, run a little dry there. <laughs> Slightly. Yes. Not much powder in the cage. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a good topic. Interesting topic, no doubt. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, Business Week, and it talks about the economy of the United States. And, uh, guys, I don't know about you, but it's a pretty interesting um, perspective. I mean, I think there's certainly a home biased um, when you know people in the United States think about investing, you know they're looking at the U.S. and they don't realize how big the global economy really is. And so here's the stat: the um, the economy of the United States is about uh, close to 18 trillion dollars, and it represents about 23 percent, only 23 percent of the 78 trillion dollar global 
economies. I know in the investment yeah. section, Steve, we're going to talk about you know diversification and so forth. But I mean, United States, that percentage is going down every single year. So I it's mean, less than a fourth of the world economy. So that's a good stat, you know. And that's a good reason for for thinking outside the United States. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about investing overall in your portfolio, I like that. Yeah, like and that. it's um, I don't think people realize that uh, you, you know you look at China and India and those economies are um, you know I, I read some articles that China is going to have its worst worst growth in like 20 years and it's going to be like six point five percent or something and yeah. you know it kind of puts in perspective we're struggling to get over three percent from a GDP standpoint so uh, there's a lot of uh, economy outside the United States that you got to be aware of. Yeah, that's true. And we're only, what, maybe 5% of the people in the world, too. So, you know, we do have a pretty strong economy worldwide. Oh, no doubt. No Six doubt. and a half billion people no, or something like that in the earth, and we're like 5% of them here in the U.S. So Certainly a lot of wealth in the United States, but ignoring uh, what's going on outside of our borders. Um, historically, that's not, been a good, that's not been a good strategy, and we'll talk more about that in your yeah, segment. We are. Definitely. All right. Good topic. And that leads up to our first topic here, though, and that is about money and marriage. That'll be music here. Isn't that like a <laughs> yeah. ding, ding? I can't remember what the music Love is. and marriage. <laughs> there you go. Not a very good singer. Yeah. Well, when you put That's money right. with it, it doesn't make it quite as cheery, does it? <laughs> yeah. Makes you know, it it's kind of like oil and water sometimes, and we unfortunately see that. And, guys, there's some stats that, you know, that we're talking about an article um, here about, uh, you know, talking about money before and after you marry. But here's some stats. One in five Americans has hidden a purchase from their spouse of at least five hundred dollars. So about twenty percent have hidden, you know, when they buy something. And then seven point two million Americans, they have a bank account or a credit card that the spouse doesn't know about. I've seen, I see that, hmm. you know, occasionally with clients, people that we sit down with. And, yeah, you know, they're like, oh, don't tell my spouse this, or I have this money, but you know, let's or send my statements to a PO box. Yeah, that puts you in a that. tough spot, no doubt. It so, really does. I mean, that, that was surprising. Seven point two million. Um, you know, money is one of the leading causes of divorce. Unfortunately, we hear Dave Ramsey talk about that a lot. And um, you know, if you if you hide debt, <clears throat> income, or assets from your spouse, it can certainly lead to a fight, and uh, possibly even you know worse um, in your relationship. Like we just said, it it can lead to divorces. Um, you know, the truth is that you should uh, be, you know, be recognized by every couple tying the knot. Um, and, you know, you need to talk about these. Financial matters can prove hard to, to discuss. There's no doubt. You know, kids and money, I think, are two, the two top items. So if you can't talk about them together, that's already a serious pl- problem. So you've got to talk about this stuff before you even tie the knot associated with it. Yeah, that's right. And the problem may be a little worse than we realize, although these stats are kind of small. In 2013, 7% of engaged individuals who answered the National Credit Counseling Foundation poll said that if they discussed money issues with their fiancé, it would prompt a fight. Wow. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. And then 11% felt that such a talk would uncover financial secrets. And then 5% said it would cause us to call off the wedding altogether. Wow. <laughs> Just call it quits if we discuss money. So, Well, you add those three stats up. That's like, a wow. quarter of the people. Like, I mean, wow, if you think it's going to call off the wedding, don't you think some point down the road you're going to have to discuss money and, and call that, off the may, wedding. that may end the, the marriage? Oh, you know, if you're already, it's going to be, be better issue. do it now. That's right. It's going to be an issue either now or later. Yeah. Uh, I think you better so. talk about it now. You want to talk about money way before you get married. No doubt. And, and on the bright side, 32% felt a conversation about these financial matters 
would be productive and it would be easy to have with their um, significant other. The most frequent was, response was about 45% was that money discussion would be awkward um, but also necessary for the health of the marriage. So, you know, t- we see that typically people getting married, they don't feel comfortable talking about their, their personal details associated with it. And it is critical uh, that you do that. Do this before you get married, not after. The you know, Talk about your debts. Um, because it's, beca- it's going to become your spouse's financial concern uh, once you do do marry. So the two of you should should plan together. Um, you, know, you should get a plan to pay down your individual debts. Um, again, this represents a shared commitment in the relationship. And uh, the other thing this article talks about is don't put in your na- don't put your name on the uh, deeply indebted spouse's credit card. Attaching your name to that account will have a, a minimal impact on your FICO score. But you don't want to literally pay the price if something happens, um, you know, with the relationship and so forth. So mm-hmm. interesting, you know, one of the things, you know, I would recommend, um, <clears throat> you know, in this section here is go to Financial Peace uh, University. It's a Dave Ramsey class. It's nine weeks. Uh, whether you're married, I, I sat down with a couple this last week and they they were doing fairly well, but I could t- sense some stress in their, their relationship. So always recommend people go to FPU. It's a great, great course for people. Um, you know, to to kind of talk about it, kind of get the uh, discussions open and so forth. Even before they get married, I oh, think absolutely, be great. It's great marriage counseling, no doubt, sure is. no doubt. And you know, if you have, um, you know, six cards, credit cards between the two of you, maybe slim it down to three, maybe four. Um, choose the one with the lowest fees. Or you know, if Dave Ramsey was listening here, he would say, "Cut them up." You know, just get rid of them completely. Oh yeah, do away with the main, credit cards. Just use a debit card. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You can certainly help that. Or if you can see. Um, you know, when I'm this lying dormant, you can uh, also, you know, reduce that as well. So about 15% of your FICO score is based on the duration of the credit history. So if you have good history, um, this article is saying you may not want to say goodbye to it. But, again, you know, we're believers in, in having, having no debt. So, you know, if you can get rid of that, you know, as you go through the relationship, it's going to, you know, solve some issues. John, what do you think about uh, a couple getting a credit card together then? I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, if that's the, no, the if they're going to use one, if they're going to use one, it should definitely be joint. Okay, um, should yeah, sure. I, I don't think you should have an individual one per se. I mean, Dave Ramsey talks about when you get married, you know, combining your finances versus being you know separate. a joint venture, you I'm know, sorry. having two separate. Books. If you want to have a successful marriage, you need to combine. I think as much as possible to. You know, it's a commitment, right? Yeah. It's a commitment that you're going to be together, together forever. That's right. Um, if you go in with the idea that we're going to keep everything separate, I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, I well, believe. I, I, I totally agree, uh, Steve, because I think at some point in time, those two trains are going to collide, you know, because yeah. uh, one area may get out of hand, uh, and before you know it, you know, there, there's definitely going to be some issues that are going to have to be addressed there. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's all. It's not all about finances when you get into marriage. I mean, it's it's about having a successful marriage too. So openness, honesty, communication. It's not just about protecting yourself financially, right? If it is, then maybe you don't want to get married at all because yeah. figure that you know, out before you exactly tie exactly. You know, everybody would have a, you know prenups and and all kinds of things. But anyway, well, that will continue us when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd dot net. Or you can give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. 
And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about money and marriage, um, like oil and vinegar, or oil and water, sorry. <laughs> vinegar. Oil and vinegar Well, pretty they, good, right? They kind of go together, right? So that <laughs> sounds too good. You're right. Oil and water, John, or oil and mud, whatever Steve, you want to say. Are you hungry? I mean, starting <laughs> to think about probably, a salad for lunch. Yeah, I have been dieting a little bit, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, an article just talking about money and, uh, and marriage. And, um, you know, some of the stats we see, guys, 7.2 million Americans have a bank account or a credit card that the spouse doesn't know about. So that's that's a problem. It's I mean, not that's, good. That's a that's a ticking time bomb. We know that money is one of the leading causes um, of divorce um, out there. So you know, these are just some things to think about. Certainly, talking about um, you know these items, your financial situation before you get married. Um, a lot of people don't share that. They don't feel comfortable. They feel like it's awkward or there'll be a fight. But you know, if you don't do it before, it's going to happen after. Um, and some people, unfortunately, when they find out what's happened or their values, that creates the issues that, you know, may terminate the marriage. So talk about it before. If you have debts, just lay it out. <clears throat> I mean, you know, part of a successful marriage is communication and trust and things like that. So you got to make sure that um, you're on the same page on this, this piece of it uh, as well. And you're definitely going to have to compromise. I mean, the most valuable verb in marriage is also really valuable when it comes to um, your shared financial life. And, you know, maybe you're a good saver. Uh, maybe you're a future millionaire next door um, and your spouse is a, a comparative spendthrift. So if you can't compromise, you know, on a money policy, then you, you're going to have to find middle ground. You're going to have to give up some, um, you know, maybe you're saving for a special uh, experience or a special occasion, or maybe each of you set aside money each month that um, you can spend at your discretion. I, I kind of like that, that each person has a little bit of leeway sure. on what they spend. Yeah, you got to have some some fun money, you yeah, know, some, yeah. some leeway to go buy things. Yeah, this this uh, article also rep, uh, recommends maybe splitting the bills proportionally. If one of you earns 70% of the household, then maybe the, the that spouse should pay for 70% of the house household bills. Again, I um, I, I mean, I, I encourage against this. The only time I, I see that this is realistic is when you have two households, two maybe two families that have been through a divorce. And you're demerging. And yeah. you're merging those, and over time it takes time for the trust piece of it. And there are some sensitive cases out there that it may make sense to, to do something like this. But in general, as Dave Ramsey says, this is not a joint venture, right? I mean, you're coming together as one. So... So uh, combine them we, is what we would recommend. And also, if you think about you know building retirement savings and emergency funds, do that together. I mean, there are better ways to, to um, there are a few better ways to signify your long term commitment to one another than having a plan. You know, working towards common goals, saving in Ross and four hundred one ks and so forth. And I'll tell you that emergency fund, um, I can I can read it on the couples when I talk to them. If they don't have an emergency fund, typically the the, the wife is is stressed. I mean, women like to have that security and comfort. Guys, not necessarily as much. So that's important. Don't really you notice is. when you bring that up as well? The wife usually looks over at the husband. Oh yes. Huh? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like yeah, it's like flipping a light switch on. We we got into a, a truck discussion this last week with the couple that I met with, and I was talking to them about you know maybe selling the truck. And she was like, I'm glad you told him that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I said, well, I'll just blame it on Dave, Dave Ramsey. So, right. uh, but, um, you know, it's just talking about it. That's That was the key. Is yeah. And that, the FPU class that we talked about is a, is a good way to do that. Yeah. And another way to, to, to really build some trust and some uh, stability 
you know, leading up to marriage or in marriage is to, to build some discipline when it comes to purchases, right? For one, wait on wait for big purchases. I, I personally like to recommend waiting a month, John, for a big purchase. Oh, you're no fun. I know. I mean, a month, that seems like eternity, right? But the good thing is, after a month, if you wait a month and you still need it, then you probably really do need it. But, but they won't have but, that color. Most of them will go ahead. They will. They they can always make more. They will make more. I promise you. It'll probably be cheaper. You know, most a lot of things come down after time. But seriously, if you wait a month, you would be amazed how many things you no longer even want. You forget about it. You forget what you wanted a month from now. <laughs> Just move on to the that's next a, shiny. That's only if you're getting old. There, John. it's about true. It really <laughs> is. It's like oh, it's object permanence. You know, before you were two years old, you take it away. You don't even see it. You, yeah, you didn't like, know it was there. I, don't know what so, I wanted. Seriously, I mean, delay at least a week. I mean, they say 24 hours in here. I think that's that's like silly. You know, you got to wait at least a week. I suggest a month before you go through with buying a big purchase. And also set a, a dollar limit on purchases that you give each other some financial autonomy. Um, you know, maybe $200 you can go out and buy something. Uh, but, you know, over that limit, you need to discuss it, mm-hmm. right? You need to have a conversation about things before you go make big purchases. Don't come home and surprise your spouse with a $2,000 purchase. Guess what I bought. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good what, way to... It, expedite the trip to the uh you know divorce yeah. counselor yeah, i was right. gonna say the counselor well that goes right along with having a plan you know a cash flow plan a, the b word budget you know make sure that you uh you put a budget together a cash flow plan that uh, is a zero based version you know you've got your uh income minus your expenses and make sure that every dollar is assigned somewhere that way it know you know where it's going because if you don't assign an, uh, a place for that dollar to go, yeah. it's going to disappear. Yeah, I think that's probably the the most important one on this list. Um, you know, Tammy and I sit down and she has different you know, perspectives and different thoughts than I do on this stuff. I mean, I, I'm in the details and I'm a nerd, if you will, from a a, a, a number standpoint, spreadsheets and so forth. And she's not, so she gives me a different perspective, and it kind of it grows our relationship because I can take into account what's important to her and make sure it's in the budget and uh, we can account for that so that's a that's a great item and the last one here on the list is um taxes i mean should you file your your taxes jointly uh not necessarily i mean that is maybe wise for some couples but if your incomes uh very greatly it may uh it may be better to file separately obviously you need to consult a, a tax preparer or you know cpa for that answer um, but you can also look at your w-4 at work it may be time to adjust your withholding status if you're getting a lot of refunds <clears throat> we usually recommend and dave ramsey recommends getting the, that money as you go through the year versus just one time a year. Because a lot of times what happens is, you know, you take you get that $5,000, which is really cool, but then you go spend it on furniture or a trip where you should have maybe put it towards in the emergency fund. Um, so look at your taxes. That's another piece that you need to discuss and figure out. So, you know, guys, talking about money isn't always pleasant, um, but, but candor, communication, and full disclosure can lead to a lot of clarity in our financial lives. So I think this is a great topic. We, we uh, you know, come across this frequently, and, and not only with our clients, but when we do counseling uh, out in the community. And it's very important. Just communicate. Talk about it. Exactly. Yeah, very, very important topic. So good that was a good one. All right, and that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. All right, this question is about the yield of bonds. I mean, you guys, you haven't noticed that bond yields are low? And CDs, any kind of fixed CD, income, yeah. right? Cash yeah. is, you know. They're ridiculous. Yeah, low. Some, it seems like we're almost paying to, for them to hold our cash. And you are actually after inflation. So, you know, what should someone do? Uh, bond yields are not very high. CDs are not high. What are some alternatives that uh, folks can go into? 
Well, you know, I mean, risk and return are related, unfortunately. So if you're going to get a higher return, then you're going to have to be willing to give up somewhere. You're going to have to either be willing to give up some liquidity, which meaning that you won't be able to get out of it, you know, very quickly. Um, Something like a, a, you know, a fixed annuity can get you a little bit higher return. Mm -hmm. Um, A really long-term CD can get you a higher return. Uh, You know, there are different types of bonds that have higher risk, like high-yield bonds, Mm -hmm. uh, better known as junk bonds. You know, they're they're non-investment-grade bonds. Um, You know, below a single B, I think, is is where they fall in that category, or a single B below. So, I mean, you you have to realize you're going to take some risk. So a diversified portfolio, a very conservative diversified portfolio, I think does the best job mm-hmm. of getting you a higher return with a marginal, you know, increase in risk. And, and a lot of people don't think, uh, you know, you talk about junk bonds, Steve, that um, bonds have risk to them because, you know, you basically you're you're buying an instrument that you'll get back at the end of five years or ten years or whatever the length of time is, and you get those interest payments. However, um, you know, we saw in two thousand and eight, if you weren't in the right type of bond, you could have lost five oh, to thirty wow. percent. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean there some, are a lot of types of bonds that were just and some issuers default. Yeah, I mean that's the reason why they're they're non-investment grade. The reason why they're junk is because the it, their credit worthiness is not is not you know quite up to par. There's a reason why they have to pay that high yield. Exactly, right? exactly. It, so the know. only other option that you have is, and we've we've talked about this a little bit, is you can increase your equity percent a little bit. I mean, exactly. You know what we see, the data that we see is taking a lot of risk in bonds historically has not been a, a good trade-off. Um, that if you want a higher return and you're willing to take a little bit more risk on it, maybe better to slide up that you know 50% you have in equities to maybe 55%. That may be a good option or good strategy as well. Yeah, I mean, if you're right for a diversified portfolio right. where you're trying to get equity returns, I mean, if you're just trying to get fixed income return, even a five or ten ten percent allocation to equities can significantly help the return, mm-hmm. you know, over time. So. But yeah, it's it, risk and return are related. Unfortunately, you got to be willing to take yeah. more risk. So it's tough spot. You yeah, know, we're got to wait a while. Yeah, I don't think it's going to turn anytime soon. I don't know. Uh, we don't try to forecast interest rates around here, but um, I don't know. Just it's been a slow slog. I mean, it's been like this for what four or five, six years now. Yeah, exactly. And it may very well. I mean, the analysts are saying it, it'll probably be another four or five, six years before interest rates get back to kind of the normal, mm-hmm. you know, the long-term normal of, I mean, the Fed calls short-term rates neutral at, I think, 4.5% is their neutral target now. So Got a little ways to go. That's quite a ways to go because it's about zero right now. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. All right, good topic. But that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are um, going to start off with a new topic here, our next segment here, and that is investing. Dare to be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this something, when it comes to investing, do you want to look like the crowd? 
kind of blend in, you know, and get the average return that everybody else gets, or do you want to be different? And the obvious answer is, yeah, you want to be different. You want to be different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now there are times, right, when you don't want to be different. Um, when being part of a crowd is probably a good thing. Like when I travel to big city, I don't know about you guys, I kind of like to blend in. You know, I kind of hide the camera, try not to scream tourist. I was you know, say, you don't want to be that guy that's the <laughs> right. Tourist, huh? Rob me, you know, mug me. I'm a tourist. <laughs> I try not to be that guy. And I mean, also when you're driving down the interstate, that's a time when I kind of like to blend in. You know, I don't want to be passing everybody in the left lane. I kind of like to see cars pass me occasionally. I think there's safety in numbers. You know, the guy that gets pulled is the guy in the mm-hmm. in the passing lane. So uh, yeah, I mean, there are there are certainly good times to to blend in i'm not really a standout kind of guy anyway i, I kind of like fitting in but finances and investing that's uh, fitting in as a, a recipe for failure when it comes to finances and investing unfortunately um dave ramsey says live like no one else so you can live like no one else yeah that's right you know so and i think that's true in all of your finances i mean the average person has credit card debt they have almost no savings and they get almost no return on their investments. They get very little return. So in investing, looking like everybody else really stinks. Yeah, it does. And, and, and you know, we we talk about the Dalbar study, and um, you know, it talks about it looks at the average investor and how they basically they fall grossly short of the market rate of return. I mean, the the and they do it every year, and they look back twenty years and. Uh, the 2014 study um, shows that the S&P 500 returned about 9% roughly over a 20-year time period. The average investor only made 5% during that time frame. So, yeah, that's just <clears throat> barely over half. Yeah, so if you're following the crowd, that's not a good crowd to follow. It's not. It's not. I mean, yeah, with inflation at you know maybe 2.5% per year over the last 10 years or so, I mean, after taxes, the average investor is barely making anything. So... You know, if this is your last 20 years before retirement, that could be a disaster. Unfortunately, um, you know, they've been doing this study for years, and they have similar results. I mean, bad market timing, stock picking, bad fund managers, you know, picks and cost, all of that just kind of eats the average investor alive. Yeah, most most investors, they think, hey, this won't happen to me. You know, this this rule doesn't apply to me. I'm different. Somehow I'm going to be able to, you know, choose the right one or I'm going to be able to time it a little bit better. But, you know, that's uh, that's not what the studies and what the numbers are, are showing us here by any means. Right. No, I, I used to think I was different, too, on some things. Um, you know, snowboarding is one of them. Me and my son, Josh, uh, used to like to go snowboarding. And uh, and I used to always think, yeah, you know, I uh, it was like 10 or 12 years ago. And I used to think... You know, I could do this, and I'll just be kind of careful, and, you know, I won't fall as hard, and I'll just, I won't hurt myself. I see some guys that get hurt snowboarding, and like, nah, nah, that won't happen to me. Well, well folks, there is no soft way to fall on a packed ski slope, <laughs> unfortunately. And, yeah, I'm sitting here nursing a, a, a hurting wrist this morning still because of an old snowboarding injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, after about a half day, I mean, we were both sore from head to toe. I had what I felt like it was a mild concussion. You know, I figured out that helmets are, are definitely a required life-saving piece of equipment if you're going to snowboard. Um, there's none of that, you know, stuff you see on the East Coast here with, you know, people snowboarding without a helmet. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Um, so, and even after getting pretty good at it, I mean, we both accumulated some, some serious injuries. I broke a wrist, he broke an arm. Uh, so yeah, if you snowboard much, it's just a matter of time before you get hurt. 
And uh, it's like investors. I mean, investors are kidding themselves themselves if they think that they can consistently pick winners and, you know, pick stocks without getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, uh, there are some ways to be different when it comes to investing and, and avoid falling behind um, you know, upwards of 4% uh, in your portfolio. We're kind of referring back to the Dalbar study there. But, I mean, we see this time and time again. I mean, people follow the crowds and, you know, it. Um, they try to, you know, exactly. try, to, try to do something they can't. Yeah, and the first way to really be different, that you want to be different in stocks, I- I- investing, is to don't try to time the market or to pick individual stocks. You know, that's number one. I mean, stop trying to do that. Um that's that's the the classic mistake, you know. Um, and I know you're thinking that you're not timing the market and you're not picking stocks. You just own some mutual funds. Well, unfortunately, if the turnover in your mutual funds is more than about twenty percent, the fund manager is probably doing that for you. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be looking into your crystal ball and trying to pick stocks. Um, even if you did, it doesn't always work. The fact is, you're, the fund manager's doing it. Yeah, and it, you know, it only takes one bad timing mistake or stock picking mistake to to ruin your return. And you know, studies show that missing the best ten days uh, will cut your return in half over a twenty year time period. So, I mean, no one's good enough to to pick out the best ten days. So it's not a it's not a good way to go. It's not. Research shows that the average active trader underperforms the market by something like 3 to 5% per year, depending on which study you look at in the time period. You know, around 90% of mutual funds are actively traded with market timing and stock picking. So if you want to be different, then don't use actively traded funds. I mean, buy something like a pure index fund um, or a pure asset class fund that captures asset class returns. And for heaven's sakes, don't try to time the market. You know, I know it's very tempting to bail out of international stocks, you know, this year, for instance, after last year's dismal performance. But that's exactly what the average investor is doing. I mean, they're they're probably selling internationals now because they're low. And, and they're losing money. That's it. Yeah, I mean, they sell after. Low. That's right. They sell afterwards, yeah. I mean, maybe you should be buying them now. Who knows? But in any event, don't sell out just because they had a bad year. It's kind of like driving while looking in the rearview mirror. That's That could be dangerous. <laughs> yes, it could. So you don't want to do that. So that was first. And then second here, use low-cost funds that have very little trading. Um, the average mutual fund... Uh, it is pretty expensive. It has around 1% expense ratio, a little over 1%, according to Morningstar. And even after the, the trading cost inside the fund is even higher. And so the average investor is really clueless about cost. So if you want to be different, you have to pay attention to cost because most investors are getting eaten alive by cost. And, and they, they don't understand the activity that's going on within a mutual fund a lot of times. you know, Like you referred to earlier, the turnover. Uh, the average stock fund has about 90% turnover, meaning that many funds are selling and buying almost everything each year. And that kind of trading inside a fund portfolio can run up enormous costs. Uh, and you have to realize that the odds of getting a market return diminish the more turnover you actually have within your portfolio. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you use a low-cost index fund or an asset class fund with low turnover, then you're going to save a bundle in trading cost over time. So that's that's a, a key to looking different than the average investor out there because most people do use more expensive actively traded funds. 
All right, and then next is you, you have to have true diversification inside your portfolio. Um, and that's another way you can really look different. I sat down with a family here recently where the 86-year-old mom had the majority of her assets in three individual stocks. I mean, her late husband thought they were diversified since they are global, big blue-chip stocks. Um, you know, they, I had to break it to her that, you know, she's vulnerable to some huge risk. I mean, you know, wake up. If, it, if we learn anything from this past Great Recession, that is big companies can fail, right? I mean, look at some of the companies that really got killed during this last downturn. Of course, Lehman Brothers did go bankrupt, but then there was, you know, GM, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, I mean, Citibank, you know, you name it, JP, JP Morgan. There were all kinds of them that got really hurt back during this last Great Recession. So true diversification means that you have thousands of stocks represented or securities represented in your portfolio, and you you have eight to 12 different asset classes represented. You know, that means you're going to have large, you're going to have small, you're going to have international, you're going to have bonds, fixed income, emerging markets, maybe even real estate. You know, I mean, true diversification means you really are getting asset class rates of return across the board. Yeah, and, or, and to do that, you have to have low-cost index type funds that, that replicate these type of asset classes. You know, what, what we do and what we see, um, you know, 8 to 12 asset classes is a reasonable number. Um, you know, it's very broad, has uh, thousands of different, you know, stocks and bonds and, you know, all over the world. So that's that's kind of what we look at from a diversification standpoint. Exactly. Well, we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we're continuing our discussion here before the break about investing, dare to be different. You know, a time when you don't want to follow the crowd, guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look like the average investor out there, you know, unfortunately, your return has been dismal. Yeah. Um, They've fallen, you know, like something like 4% short. According to Dalbart, the most recent Dalbar study, short of what the market got. Um, and so you don't want to do that. You don't want to look like the crowd. And that means, you know, a couple things, right? That means you don't try to time the market or try to pick individual stocks. That's what the crowd's doing. They, they, the research shows they failed dismally at that over time, if that's a word. You know, dismally. I don't know. <laughs> they, they failed horribly. At horribly. That that's time. a good one. There we go. And uh, yeah, you want to use low-cost funds with very little trading. Um, the average mutual fund has something like 1%, 1.1% expense ratio. Um, that eats into the cost, but there's also something called trading cost that eats into it. So you want to avoid all that and use very low-cost index funds or funds that are you know uh, buying an entire asset class. And then you want to have true diversification in your portfolio, um, is another key. Um, you you, you want to make sure that your portfolio has literally eight to twelve different asset classes. Um, it's really well spread out with represents thousands of different stocks. And then you have to rebalance them periodically to keep them in that 
proper allocation. Um, and if you do that, you'll look different than the average investor and the average portfolio. You won't be chasing hot returns from a fund manager or a stock. And when the market takes a downturn, you can rest comfortably that you are diversified. A diversified portfolio is always recovered from down markets if you leave it alone. That's what history shows. And so, you know, that's what you want to try to do in your portfolio. And knowing this can, can give you peace of mind um, and some comfort knowing that it, it, you know, if you leave it alone over time, you know, history says you'll be successful. Yep. So takeaways here are don't look, you know, don't, you have to look different than the average investor to be successful. Um, as Dave Ramsey says, you got to live like no one else if you want to live like no one else later. And, you know, you do that by not trying to time the market or pick stocks, ensuring that your funds are not doing that either, diversifying 8 to 12 different asset classes, stay fully invested, and try not to time the market. Um, and that way you will get market returns over time and, and beat, you know, what the average investor gets, according to history. So yeah. Good article. All right, yeah, good good topic. Discussion. <clears throat> okay, and that leads up here to our uh, prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is uh, dedicated to my father. Um, we <laughs> we talk all the time, and he, he doesn't call me every single day, but he um, he does look at the stock market, uh, you know, performance on a daily basis, you know, whether it's up or whether it's down, and hmm. and uh, so the prescription is is don't do that. Don't be like dad. Is that what you're saying? Don't be like dad in that respect. He's got a lot of other positive qualities about him, but uh, he doesn't, he doesn't get real emotional about it. Um, So he can handle it. He can Um, handle it. Most people can. He understands, uh, you know, goes up, goes down, goes up more than it goes down over time. So he's, I've uh, I've I've trained him on that piece of it, but in general, You've programmed him. That's right. You know, in general, people it's just very emotional. Um, it doesn't work for most people. That's right. You start watching TV and Jim Cramer and so forth, and you know they just kind of sensationalize it, and your emotions take over. And we just saw the the Dalbar study. That's that's very harmful. I mean, emotions get in the way of success a lot of times in your financial life. So yeah, people make decisions based on those emotions, and as emotions get ginned up, whenever you're mm-hmm. watching the ups yep. and downs and all that noise, I call it noise where the market's up and down yeah, every day, right. 100 points. You know, don't pay attention to that. That's just, just noise. So, it means nothing long-term. So sorry, Dad. I had to throw you <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> Man. It's a good a lesson mean, for everybody. Mean thing to do, to Dad here. Good lesson. You know, but all right. That's that's good. He can, he can handle it. He least. can. All right. That leads up to our last topic here, and that is Congress wrangling and Turning over Social Security here uh, sounds like the disability. Sounds trust like fund. a bell. Did anyone hear the bell? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the the beginning of a new uh, session of Congress, and all I can keep hearing in my mind is "Let's get ready to rumble." You know, it's like they 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 go at it, and especially when it comes to Social Security. You know, yep. this is a serious issue that really has to be addressed because you know we're we're, we're looking at some yeah. Some issues here. No doubt. And so this is the Social Security disability. And I, I, d- I did some research on this, guys. Since 2007, the number of people in the disability program has incre- increased 21% wow. yeah. um, to 8.8 million people. And it went on in the article that I was looking at. It says it's not health-related, but there's a lot of loopholes and uh, flaws in the program. Um, and they're really struggling with, with turning people away because they don't have jobs. And so this is a place they can turn to get income. So well, that and then, you know, weighing the cost 
to screen, mm-hmm. you know, and figure out, okay, who really should be in and who really shouldn't be. You, you almost have to ask yourself, is it is it worth it? Yeah. You know, and, and what's that trade-off there? But, you know, we are looking at some pretty serious issues here. It says uh, Social Security actuaries project that the Disability Insurance Trust Fund will be exhausted in the very near future. After that, the program will only be able to pay out what it takes in from payroll taxes. If that happens, disability or disabled uh, recipients would suffer up to a 20% cut in their payments, according to the Center for Retirement Research uh, out of Boston. And that can be a real burden on uh, some people that are unable to work. Last week, during the first week of the new congressional session, the House took a shot at forcing action on Social Security reform. It passed a technical amendment that could prevent Congress from moving money from the trust fund for old age and survivor insurance uh, to make up for the looming shortfall, you know, that, that we're having here on the disability side of things. Yeah, that's right. And eight senators, senior senators signed a letter criticizing the House for its action. In part, the letter said, you know, holding hostage the Social Security benefits for any American, particularly those of the nine million Americans with disability who are at risk in the coming years, is an untenable Proposition. It only increases the chances of yet another unnecessary manufactured crisis akin to the shutdown of the government or threatening uh, the full faith and credit of the United States. Um, so there's uh, obviously a lot of politicking going on here. Yeah, no matter letters. no matter how you look at it, it's a, it's a messy issue. It is. I mean, most people um, applying for and getting Social Security disability, they're only a few years away from qualifying for the regular Social Security retirement. So according to the Social Security Administration, 70% of disabled recipients are age 50 or older, um, and 30% are age 60 or older. So in just a couple of years, those folks will be eligible for uh, regular Social Security. And then 20%, though, are already eligible. They're 62 or older, and so they could just move right to the retirement side of the house you know, if their disability uh, payments were cut um, before they reach full retirement age. Well, you know, the, the practice of moving money from the disability, disability side to the retirement side of things and vice versa, um, this isn't something new. It's, it's something that, you know, has been done. Gosh, to see. It says Congress has reallocated taxes between the Social Security Retirement and Disability Trust Funds 11 times before in both directions. So they've played ping pong uh, with this issue, you know, numerous times. Um, but the shortfall isn't news or caused by the fraud that has uh, plagued the disability program. The Center uh, for Retirement Research said in a policy brief on this issue last year, Social Security actuaries have always anticipated higher rates of disability with the aging of the baby boom, but they did not foresee a significant increase in the disability rates at, you know, such young ages and the impact of the, you know, the economic recession that we've gone through as well. Right, right. And, you know, reallocating enough money to keep the program solvent through uh, 2033 would have almost no impact on the solvency of the retirement fund, uh, reducing it by about a year because the uh, retirement fund is just so much bigger. I mean, it's a, it's a bigger pool of money, if you will. Right, right. Much, much bigger. I think it's obvious that's what they're going to do, right? I mean, because that's the easy solution is just to reallocate money, bring it back from the uh, retirement side of the house to the disability side of the house. And, you know, my fear is the GOP, you know, they're going to get in a big fight up there over this. They're going to try to make, you know, some radical changes to it over this issue, and they're just going to get beat up in the media. I think this is a losing strategy for for politically, you mm-hmm. know, to, to try to fight this. At this point, I think at this point, 
they ought to just move money around, you know, get get it covered for now until they can get some consensus on yeah. on broad um, entitlement reform. Well, and, and like you just said, once they do kind of put a tourniquet on this thing, maybe for just a little bit, they really need to go to work on finding yeah. a better long-term solution. <laughs> that's oh, the problem, do. though. They do. But, I mean, that's where the they'll kick the can down. They'll put the pressure on the Social Security side. Um, at some point, that'll be addressed through higher taxes and means testing. That's what's going to end up. That's right. I mean, Eventually. When, when Eventually. we do planning for folks, I did planning for a 40-year-old couple and kind of uh, took off a third of what the Social Security is estimating because right. they're going to be right. impacted. And they probably need to tighten up on the allowing so many people to get oh, on yeah. disability no now. Doubt. It used to be tighter than it was. seems like it's loosened up here the last, you know. Six years? Six years. Oh, eight wow. years. But like yeah. we said, you know, they can't regulate it as tightly anymore or they it, – it's almost the, the, the trade-off of the cost there. So. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Who knows? They used to. Interesting topic, though. It's definitely something that needs to be addressed. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD with John, Steve, and Gordon. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can listen to our podcast um, after the fact and email us your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.